my good people. Greetings. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everyone's fantastic as we inch that much more closer to the holiday season. But before we get to that, it's two and a half weeks away, plenty of sports chatter to discuss as I'll deliver to you all here on this latest edition of the J Reels podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 98 episodes, that's right, just two away to the century mark, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, November the 11th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. So before I get to what's on tap, a huge thank you goes out to the servicemen and women out there of our military here on this Veterans Day for protecting and fighting for our land and our freedom. An enormous thank you. As a matter of fact, thank you twice more than once for all that you do here to acknowledge you guys from the start before I even get into what's happening in the world of sports. So again, thank you very much to all of the military branches here in the U.S. of A. Now... As to what to expect here on this latest edition, Alabama, are they done? Will we see them in the college football playoff? Still plenty of football to be played, but that will be the big question later on in this podcast after their loss to LSU there on Saturday. Sloppy start led to a furious comeback, but they fell short. So we'll get my take on that later on. Also, what's happening with Major League Baseball as the GM meetings begin out in Arizona. I don't think we're going to get a lot of hot stove talk. This is also the week of the... Awards that will be given out, of course, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, MVP, Cy Young. Not to handicap that, but a lot of baseball news will certainly percolate here over the next few days. But the big question is, will the free agents this offseason suffer the way they have the last couple of offseasons? And I know suffer is a strong word, but considering that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado didn't sign until very late, almost on the cusp of pitchers and catchers reporting, will we see a repeat performance of that this year? So that will be the topic Later on, we'll also touch on the NBA and NHL as they're now just about a month, a little more than a month, into the both winter sports seasons. But football is going to be the focus, and Week 10 was the week that was one that we were expecting for quite some time. Because if you listen to the podcast over the last few weeks, it had pretty much hit, I'm not going to say rock bottom, I'm not going to say that it's been super dull this NFL season. It certainly hasn't been as exciting and not the week in, week out drama that we've had, I guess, in past NFL seasons. But yesterday, you got a day where two teams in particular certainly had the shock of their football city's lives because when you look at the Saints and what they've done without Drew Brees for the most part, we know Drew Brees came back into the mix before their bye when they faced the Arizona Cardinals and coming off the bye. The 1-7 Atlanta Falcons came to town, and what we saw there was a non-competitive game. And not by the Falcons, but by the Saints. To the score of only nine points, no offensive touchdowns. We know that they are not healthy on offense 100%, in particular Alvin Kamara. But who would have thought that the Falcons, with everything that has happened pretty much since they've lost that Super Bowl game, but to make it about 2019, for everything that they have not been able to do this year, all the reports about Dan Quinn and a full house cleaning that will take place down in Atlanta, which still could be the case, but at least for one day, saving face, some pride, to be able to go into the Superdome and did what they did to a Saint team that a lot of people, even to some non-believers out there with the 49ers, a lot of people think that the Saints are the most complete team in the NFC, but you didn't see that yesterday, and that was a shock. We'll talk about what happened in Tennessee in a minute, But when I saw that final score and how that game played out, there was no way that anybody, I'm sure, 
in their knockout pools or for those that do gamble. And I know the spread was a double-digit spread, and rightfully so. But for them to come away with that game, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of a 26-9 drubbing makes you think the state of the Saints, what is that going to look like moving forward considering that the NFC is now starting to shift a little bit where you have the Packers now at 7-2 and two after their win yesterday against the Carolina Panthers and with a tough goal line stand there at the end stuffing Christian McCaffrey for going into the end zone at 24-16. And it's always good to see when you watch these games on TV – And when you look at the weather, and now that we're into November, it's always Green Bay that have the first game where there's snow on the ground. You know, you're not going to see it in New England. You're not going to see it in Pittsburgh. You're not going to see it in Cleveland. It's always Green Bay. It's almost as if the football gods and the weather gods say, "Uh uh-uh, if we're going to have the first sight of snow on any NFL field or any NFL stadium throughout the land, it's going to be Green Bay. And you got to see that yesterday there in the second half of the game. But the NFC now is starting to shift a little bit because even with the Vikings win last night against the Cowboys and them moving up to 7-3, and three, also you're going to look at tonight's game, which is huge, between the Niners and the Seahawks. Niners are looking to stay undefeated where the Seahawks, knowing that the Packers had won and with the Saints losing, that they could put themselves in that 7-2, and 7-3 and three mix. In fact, they haven't even had their buy yet, if I'm not mistaken, so... Their record as of right now, I believe, is 7-2. and two, So they could actually be 8-2. and two And would actually, I'd have to look at the tiebreakers, of course, their situation with the Saints and some of the other teams. But that would be a huge win for the Seahawks tonight if they could get that. Now, it's on the road. It's going to be in San Francisco, so it's going to be a tall order. But right now, as the standings constitute, if they were to be 8-2, and two, they will certainly be tied with the Saints and would actually have a better conference record. So they would have the two-seed if they do win this game tonight. But it's going to be a tall order. The Niners are certainly going downhill, moving fast, and certainly want to continue their undefeated season, which will take place Monday night. But to go back to yesterday's game, so the Saints in their hiccup, and that's a bad one. We understand if that game was on the road, if it was in Atlanta, and you're going to see that game on Thanksgiving evening, which is not the sexiest matchup, but at least it brings a little juice to that game because there's going to be revenge factor. But watch that game be over in the second quarter. But that's for down the road. So the Saints, they certainly have to regroup and bounce back and see what they could do to try to right in the ship there because that was just a shocking loss on all fronts. And as far as the Chiefs are concerned, where Patrick Mahomes is back in the mix and had a phenomenal game, over 440 yards and three touchdowns, but... Tennessee, it's weird with this team because every now and again, they'll have a game like this where they'll pull out of the rear end, whether it was last year against New England at home and now this year the Chiefs at home where they're able to pull an upset. And all I could say to this, the Titans, they'll be awful against Jacksonville. They'll be awful against other teams, whether it's in their division or a game where they're supposed to win. They won't win. And here it is yesterday, even with Mahomes back in the mix, and they upstage him with a 35-32 victory. And they put themselves in the mix too as far as the AFC is concerned when it comes to the bottom part of the wild card mix. I understand people could look at it and say, well, hey, we still got a shot maybe for the division between the Texans now with a bye and certainly with the lead in the division. But they are right now a game and a half back and Houston going to Baltimore next week. 
And with the Colts not only stubbing their toe in Pittsburgh last week, but inexplicably losing to the Dolphins at home, which that was another shocker of the week. So I'll segue into that. Now we understand no Jacoby Brissett. You got Brian Hoyer there. And Hoyer, who performed pretty well against the Steelers last week, to the tune of three TDs and one pick. Yesterday was just awful. Was not able to put anything together on offense. Of course, the Dolphins had led the whole game to a 16-12, not pretty, ugly game. So now the Dolphins are on a two-game winning streak, if you could believe that. And everybody thought that they were going to be the worst team in the league. And they certainly played that way for the first seven weeks. But sadly, the worst team in football, to my dear friends, and the only two Bengal fans I know on this planet, to Risa Saslow and to Brian Murray, who I've known for almost 25 years, the distinction of the worst team in the NFL belongs in Cincinnati because what you saw yesterday against the Raven team, and we're going to get to Lamar Jackson because everybody's talking about the MVP hype, and we'll get to that. But to me, the story's more of the Bengals and how inept they become this year. 49-13, losing at home. They're 0-9. When you look at the rest of their schedule, everybody's thinking, are they going to win a game? Now, there's some winnable games on the schedule for them, and the three would include these teams. They'll host the Jets later on, and although the Jets finally got a win under their belt beating the Giants yesterday, and their schedule is certainly soft over the next few weeks, so who knows if they could capitalize on that. But as far as the Bengals and just finding any victory on the schedule this year, they do have the Jets on their home schedule. They go to Miami. Remember, people, we talked about that as being possibly the Tua Bowl or the at least entry number one pick overall, but that's not going to be the case with the Dolphins' two victories. You could say the Bengals have pretty much wrapped up the number one pick overall for next year's draft. And even with the Dolphins being a game that they can win on the schedule, and they do have the Browns twice, and for pride's sake, maybe, just maybe, they can win one of those two games. And we know the Browns, they could certainly fall flat on their face at any given point, despite the fact that they won yesterday against the Bill team at home where the Bills had a chance to tie the game in regulation and they couldn't do it where House missed the field goal. But going back to the Bengals, They are just pathetic. When they come back to the NFL and play half as decent, then please call me and let me know because they are not an NFL team right now. I don't want to say Zach Taylor's in over his head, the head coach there of the Bengals, who first year from the Sean McVay coaching tree, and we get that losing an A.J. Green at the beginning of the year and Andy Dalton certainly looking as if he's going to be on his way out, where yesterday they started – a backup quarterback, and it wasn't Jeff Driscoll who was in Detroit when they played against the Chicago Bears. But the Bengals were starting a new quarterback there in a one Ryan Finley to the tune of 16 for 30 for 187, one TD and one interception. But when you go up against the likes of, let's just call him video game Lamar, and what he did yesterday, 15 for 17 for 223, three touchdowns, and that unbelievable 49-yard touchdown run where he's just juking and spinning and cutting and doing anything that you could see from a video game. The Ravens have certainly put themselves in a great position to get a two-seed in the NFC, or excuse me, in the AFC as of today. Now, we're only 10 weeks into the season, nine games in, and as bad as the Bengals are and looking for a win, you could also counter that with the Ravens and everything that they've done by not playing a quality opponent, especially a defense where is Swiss cheese right now. And not to rain on Lamar Jackson's MVP parade, probably the front runner right now will be Russell Wilson, and we'll see what he does tonight against the Niners. 
But Lamar Jackson, for as dynamic as he's been, and you cannot knock him, you can't knock his talent. His talent is, right now, is showing otherworldly. But let's face it, we need to see this against a more competitive team. And you could say, oh, what did he do against New England last week? Well, I've said time and time again that New England defense is overrated. And I don't care what people say, oh, they 61 points and they've had more defensive touchdowns than offensive touchdowns that they or they have had more defensive touchdowns that they've scored than giving up offensive touchdowns on their defense. But to me, that's neither here nor there. When you look at the quality of opponents that they've had, uh, they're certainly borderline NFL teams as well. And that's not to knock the Jets, it's not to knock the Giants, Redskins, Dolphins, etc. But we all know that they are just god-awful football teams. So not to say I got to see this against an elite defense, not to say I got to see this. I just need to see this against better competition. And for those who forgot, all they got to do is look at the divisional, or I should say the wild card game last year, where the Chargers bottled up Lamar Jackson and, and did nothing. He did nothing in the game, and I understand the score was a lot much more close at the end, 23-17, but that game was 23-3 at one point in the fourth quarter. But going back to Lamar Jackson 2019, as great as a season as he's had, and I understand that there's guys, my guy Michael Tillery, who I certainly respect, and obviously he's entitled to have his opinion. Right, he could throw for 4,000 yards and rush for 1,000, which has never been seen in the NFL, but that doesn't mean despite the fact that he'd be MVP of the league, doesn't mean it's going to translate to a magical postseason run and they're going to be in the Super Bowl and he's going to lift the Lombardi Trophy and also get the MVP as well. Because we all know the MVPs of regular seasons, yes, they look great on on resumes, but what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. Do I have to go back to Matt Ryan two years ago or three years ago when he won the MVP? All right, he has that on his mantle, great, but does anybody remember that he was the MVP in 2016? Or Cam Newton that he was the MVP in 2015 and Cam Newton is out for the year and Kyle Allen looks like he's going to be the heir apparent moving forward as Cam Newton's probably not going to be on this team next year. Carolina Panthers, that is. So to me, the MVP means nothing. Yes, it's a nice award. It certainly does mean something. Not to dismiss it 100%, but at the same time, all this talk about MVPs nine games into the season, just need to Relax. Because we all know it's 16 games. Let's see what he does. And the Niner, I should say the Ravens schedule is going to tighten up here a little bit. Because they do play the Niners in a couple weeks. So the game's at home. But still, you would think that it's going to be a defensive struggle. Because we all know the Niner defense is very good. They do have the Texans coming into their building. So that's a good test. They have to go to LA to play the Rams. Who right now are banged up and wounded. But still, that's not going to be an easy game. And for what it's worth, they go to Buffalo, which I think that's going to be a game the Ravens will certainly win. But the competition will stiffen up here, and let's see how he does over the next four games. So everybody wants to anoint MVPs, and everybody wants to anoint this guy as the next person, and so on. No, let's just let the season play out. When we get to Week 16, Week 17, we'll pretty much know who the front runner and the clear-cut winner is going to be. But as of right now, despite the fact that he's been phenomenal, there he's, there's nothing short of fantastic of what this guy's done. But not to throw cold water on him or his MVP candidacy or anything like that, I still need to see more. Because beating up the Bengals and the Miami Dolphins to the tune of 59-10 on opening week of the NFL season, I, I still need to see more. And that's all I'll say about Lamar Jackson and that situation. So, some of the other games from yesterday. 
like I talk about the Browns, a lot of talk now is they have their sea legs and they feel like they can make a run here. Now, again, with this team and especially with that coach, they have a huge game on Thursday, which I'll get to. They play the Steelers. So if they're going to turn the season around, they got to win more than just one game. We need to see a winning streak going on here. So that's going to be a fascinating game from that standpoint. So let's see if the Browns have their quote-unquote mojo and see if they could uh, put together a streak. But other than that, you had the Bucks beating the Cardinals. I know that was Bruce Arians going up against his former team. Arians acknowledged that he has a lot of fan, a lot of uh, friends on that side of the sideline. But hey, he's happy to come away with a win, and rightfully so. They've had a tough year. Also, the Bears and their fans. Now you got a, a atrocious Sunday night game: Bears and Rams. They couldn't flex that game. I guess because of the two markets, LA and Chicago, they're going to get a high rating. But oh my jeez, that's just a bad Sunday night game next week. But Trubisky for everybody that's been slaughtering him and rightfully so, turning off the TVs and the complex so he doesn't have to hear all the negativity that's being and warranted negativity that's being driven in his direction. As we all know, Trubisky's been awful. So for him to just tune out the TVs or shut him off, whatever, that's just a bad job on his part. I mean, come on. Got to have thicker skin than that, especially playing in that town. But the games yesterday, I mean, that's what you pretty much had. The Raiders give them credit. They played Thursday night and beat the Chargers. Raiders are in the AFC hunt there for a wild card spot. And maybe even for a division for that matter, they still have the Chiefs a second time around, although they lost them in week two this year. So the NFL is starting to get a little bit more interesting here as we hit that valley over the last couple of weeks. And now with teams being part of the mix, and moving up the charts here as far as trying to get themselves to the playoffs, including the Steelers for that matter. And I'll get to them right now just to summarize a quick three minutes on the game yesterday. Their defense has certainly stepped up. It's amazing to think they have not allowed a 100-yard rusher or a 100-yard wide receiver. Now, they did give up 100 yards to Hunter Henry in L.A. on that Sunday night game against the Chargers, but they have not given up 100 yards to a receiver. They have given up 300 yards to a passer this year. And that was Russell Wilson right on the button. But the Steelers give it up. Their defense has certainly turned the season around. Their offense, again, it sputters. It's not going to be great, but they do make plays. And if the Mason Rudolph, James Washington connection back in Ohio, oh, excuse me, Ohio, Oklahoma State as it once was in their college days, if it could translate here in Pittsburgh, that's great for them. But as far as the game is concerned, their defense certainly stepped up. A ton of tech takeaways. They've had now two takeaways in each game of the last eight, which is surprising because the Steelers for many years, especially after the Troy Polamalu, James Harrison years, they couldn't buy a turnover on defense. So they've certainly been able to do that. Also, they've been able to stop the Ram offense. One for 14. Goff was terrible, but one for 14 on third down. I know you had some questionable calls, including that fourth down play. Why they were taking a shot at the end zone there at the end of the game at 17-12 was beyond me. Could there have been pass interference? It was bang, bang. And in this day and age, I'm surprised it wasn't thrown, but it, I guess it was a home call. So you had that. But the biggest play in the game was that fourth and one at 14-12 in the, on their own 30 where Tomlin elected to go for it. And Mason Rudolph rolls out and passes to Trey Edmonds to get the first down. They move the chains. They keep moving the chains to the tune of an eight-minute drive, which ended in a field goal, which was huge. Because obviously the two chances that the Rams had at the end of the game – Instead of having to go for a field goal, 
they had to go for a touchdown, and they were thwarted there at the end where Minka Fitzpatrick on a diving attempt of an interception by Joe Hayden gets the pick. And I tell you, what more can you say about Minka Fitzpatrick and what he's contributed to this team since the trade? He has just been phenomenal. Not to the tune of Defensive Player of the Year. I know a lot of people are throwing those words out there. Oh, look what he's done. He's turned his defense around. Has he done so? Yes. Is he Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, I would say not. But he has been otherworldly and has certainly been a facelift to that defense. And the Steelers have certainly put themselves now in the sixth seed if the season ended today in the AFC. But still a lot of football to be played. A lot to get into as far as that's concerned. But uh, give it up. Just a huge win for the Steelers there. And I think it was even much better for their confidence because for them to be 0-3 and then 1-4, to get to 500 last week and to get out there with a victory against the Colts, they needed to close out this three-game homestand with the win, and they did so by beating the Rams. And the Rams, Rams are a quality opponent. I get that they had their own problems. Cooper Cup didn't even make a catch yesterday, so he was shut out completely in the game. But the Rams are still a quality opponent. They still have a ton of talent. I understand the quarterback is a question mark right now, and he has to be considering they gave him all this money and they have a lot of players tied into, whether it's Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, and a couple other players on that team where they've given a lot of money to. So it's not as if they could go ahead and try to bring people in. Remember, they just traded for Jalen Ramsey, so they're going to have to re-sign him to a big deal. So the Rams certainly have a lot of question marks moving forward, especially them being in the loaded NFC West and is just a loaded NFC overall. So let's see what they could do here over the course of the next few weeks to try to get themselves back in the mix. And as I said earlier, they play the Bears on a Sunday night, which should be the remedy because the Bears, as we all know, uh, certainly are a team that can be pushed around and certainly a winnable game for the LA Rams. But uh, that's what you have with the Steelers there. And as far as the game... That you're now moving forward. Let's go quickly to the games this coming week. Thursday night in a week 11 kicks off Steelers Browns. Now, this is going to be a huge game for the Browns. Not only, as I said before, to kind of get themselves on a winning streak, but they've never beaten the Steelers. They haven't beaten the Steelers since 2013. And the Steelers have a lot of gas in their tank. This is a game where I'm sure if they could go ahead and win this six and four, they'll have 10 days off before they play the Bengals in Cincinnati before their schedule starts to stiffen up. In fact, the Steelers now are going to play five of the last seven on the road. So that's all you need to know about their schedule to close out their season. But a good test for them, for the Browns, and actually a ho-hum game for the rest of America, but it's going to be fascinating from this regard. Can the Browns actually somehow, some way, get themselves a spot here to make a push, even at three and six, where the Steelers have certainly been on this roll, can they thwart them and stop them cold here and put themselves somewhere in the AFC playoff picture? So a good start to the week. But overall, these games, Cowboys and Lions, Jaguars and Colts, Bills and Dolphins, Broncos and Vikings, Saints and Buccaneers, uh, it's just a dreadful schedule. Now, the only games of note that you have this week in the key spots, the 1 o'clock game, Houston and Baltimore, Your 425 is going to be Pats-Eagles. So you have your Super Bowl 52 rematch. And then, as I said before, the Sunday night game's a dud, as well as the Monday night game, Chiefs-Chargers, and that game's in Mexico. So that is your week 11, and you have your next-to-last week of buys where you have Green Bay, 
Tennessee, the Giants, and Seahawks on buys this week. And then the following week, leading up into the Thanksgiving holiday, will be a last week of buys, and then you have the three games on Thanksgiving and then a full slate there on Sunday where all the teams will be involved. So no more buys after not this coming Sunday, the following. So I'm sure everybody's looking forward to that, including myself. And two other things I want to throw in here, if I may, just on on a minor note, and I wonder if the listeners out there, if they could agree with me on this. The first thing is to see these jerseys. Now, the Steelers brought back their old jerseys, which I loved, and I wish they could just keep those jerseys. So the jerseys they wore yesterday in the game is against the Rams were the old-style jerseys before 1997 when they upgraded to the round numbers. And I, I can't to this day, I can't stand those jerseys. Bring back the block numbers. Bring back the straight lettering. I just love that. To me, that Steeler, those are Steeler jerseys. And I even like the other jersey where it's all gold with the letters and the numbers. But if they could just bring back that jersey, oh, I would love it a thousand percent. And with that being said, the one thing I love about the Steelers, they do not conform to the NFL uniform policy when it comes to, and I'll give you an example. Now, the Cowboys, I understand on Thanksgiving, they wear the blue jerseys because of the tradition. That I can understand if they're at home. What were they doing wearing the blue jerseys at home last night? Now, I know my cousin J.D., who's a rabid Cowboy fan, and of course, my former radio partner. I'm sure he probably looked at it and said, what the hell are they doing wearing these blue jerseys? And as we all know, if let's go back to yesteryear, especially to the Tom Landry days, the halcyon days of the, the Cowboys, the first go-around before the triplets and the 90s Cowboys. Whenever a team, let's say the Giants, now we all know they wore, the, they wore their blues at home, the blue jerseys, but whenever the Cowboys came into the old Meadowlands, they would wear the white jerseys because for whatever the reason, when the Cowboys wear the white jersey, it's the invincibility and the aura of the Cowboys. But when they wear the blue, there was always that sense of, hmm, it was almost as if that wearing that jersey was kryptonite. So whether it was the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia in 1980 when the Eagles wore the white at home when they normally wear the green, or the Redskins where back in the day they always wore the white at home and the Cowboys won, uh, wore the blue. And even earlier this year, the Jets, in their only victory of the year before yesterday when they beat the Giants, what did they do? Now they play the Cowboys once every four years, but they thought, hey, Let's switch it up. Let's wear the home whites. Let's have Cowboys wear the blues. And let's see what happens. And sure enough, Cowboys lost. And we understand that's a bit of NFL lore for those who follow the league like that intently, especially back there in the 70s and 80s. But when you see the Cowboys wear that at home, there's something wrong with that. To me, that's like what the Steelers wearing a white jersey at home or their road jersey at home. So I digress a little bit, just a little bit off the beaten path there. But I just don't like it when these teams, especially early on, the advantage, oh, because it's so hot out, we wanted to wear the white jerseys. But if you wear that jersey at home, we'll just wear that jersey. Trying to get these silly edges and advantages. You know, the Saints at home in their first couple of weeks, they wear the white. They're in a dome. Why are they wearing a white jersey to start? But anyway, so I just thought I'd throw that little nugget in there because to me, uh, I just, when I saw that last night, I couldn't believe it. I almost looked at that. I was like, wait a second, why are the Cowboys wearing their blue jerseys at home? You know, other than Thanksgiving, like I said. So. But that's what you have there with the NFL. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on the game tonight moving forward and uh, another lackluster weekend, but we'll see. Let's see if we get some upsets abound. If the Cardinals could go into San Francisco and beat the Niners, especially if they're still undefeated after tonight. The Bengals go to Oakland. Will they get their first win out in the Bay? 
Can the Dolphins win three in a row and upset the apple cart with the Bills? And the Bills have now looked like they're starting to trend south quickly. Broncos, can they go into U.S. Bank Stadium? I, that's what you're going to look at here. Because when you look at these matchups on the, on the surface, ugh, it's a snooze fest. Jets are playing the Redskins. I mean, that's all you need to know. And I know you had the Jet-Giant game yesterday. I know here locally that was a big deal. But the Jets, at least they hold off the Adam Gates talk for one week. But that doesn't necessarily mean that should be, let's just give uh, Adam Gates an extension. So everything's about Pat Shermer now. And even though Daniel Jones had a very good game, four touchdowns, but his ball security obviously has been in question going back to training camp. And the Giants and Saquon Barkley, now he's certainly regressed here. He only had one yard on 13 carries. That's right, one yard rushing. So who knows if the ankle's affecting him that bad, you know, that badly or if he's just checked out to a certain extent mentally. Who knows? But that's what you have there in a week 10 in the NFL. And uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. All right, now as we turn our attention to the college football scene, and as we all know, Game of the Century took place there on Saturday at Tuscaloosa between LSU and Alabama. Now, funny enough, all the talk last week was number one versus number two. Well, Ohio State had other plans as the committee and as the coaches poll, top 25 AP thought Ohio State belonged at number one. So we had a number two versus number three. Be that as it may, the Crimson Tide certainly got off to a very rough start. Now, they get the ball first. They're marching down the field. Tua Tagovailoa, who has had that surgery there a couple weeks ago on that high right ankle sprain, comes out flinging the ball. They come out firing. Najee Harris with a big run. So now they're pretty much in the red, first and goal, as Tua scrambles to his right. Ball slips out of his hands, fumbles the ball. LSU takes over. They march down to the field to make it 7-0. And to me, that was like the beginning of the end when it came to dictating the tempo of this game for the LSU Tigers. Now, Joe Burrow is a guy that a lot of people didn't, wasn't on anybody's radar when it came to Heisman Trophy hopefuls this year. And coming into this game, a lot of people thought that, hey, this is a guy that could possibly put himself front and center as the favorite to win the Heisman. Well, what you saw on Saturday was everything that was advertised when it came to the quarterback of LSU. Because for every turn that the Crimson Tide tried to make a move or tried to get themselves back in the game, Burrow, whether it was with his legs or certainly with his arm, thwarted any of that. And the Crimson Tide, right now, and we'll get to that a little bit later, certainly had to fight uphill the whole game. And they were sloppy in the first half of that game. So whether it was the fumble by Tua, whether it was the muff on the snap from the punter, Perrine, who certainly couldn't hold on to the ball, but that led to a field goal. Whether it was the missed extra point later on at 16-13 to 13 when they were ready to tack on the extra point after the punt return by, and that was just an unbelievable punt return by the kid Jalen Waddle. But then to be able to go ahead and try to get that much more closer to make it a two-point score, they missed the extra point. So they were just very sloppy on a hole in that whole first half. You know, even Tua gets that pick there late in the first half, which sets up the touchdown to make it 33-13. And you're thinking to yourself, there's no way this team, Alabama, is just going to fold their tents and go home down 20 at the half. Well, they came storming back. They were obviously able to make some plays. We all know about their wide receiver core, led by uh, the kid uh, Jerry Judy. But it wasn't enough. And the one person that I was impressed besides Burrow and what he did 
to the tune of, what was it, 393 yards and three touchdowns. In the broadcast, Gary Danielson was referring to him as, oh, this guy's the next Aaron Sproles. But just seeing him in that number 22 and seeing how small he was, because Emmitt Smith was 5'9", and not to try to compare him to Emmitt Smith by any stretch, but just seeing him as far as his stature is concerned and wearing that number 22, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he certainly put on a performance there with four touchdowns, and he was just all over the place. I couldn't get how impressive I was with that kid watching him perform there on that stage. And LSU, give him credit. They're certainly worthy of being the number one team in the country. I know Alabama's licking their chops a little bit as we've gone over the last couple of weeks leading up to this game. How Alabama certainly had LSU's number in particular since Saban had left LSU to coach the Crimson Tide. And what's left of all that and to, you know, give to a credit, he came back. He certainly wasn't 100%. You could see that. Even in that fumble where he tried to take a step back to reach for the ball, he even turned his ankle then, and he fought hard and fought valiantly to bring his team back. But uh, it certainly wasn't enough, and you wonder what his, gonna, what his health is going to be like moving, on for, you know, moving forward, and you would think that he's going to perform here to the tune of, beating up the rest of these teams on their schedule, and then let's see what happens in the SEC championship because that's going to be the end-all, be-all of the college football season for Alabama this year. If they win that game, and we still have a lot of football to be played, we don't know how this is all going to shake out right now. We get that. But as far as Alabama making the college football playoff, it's going to bank on that championship game because I would think if they win that game, whether it's close or even handily, if it's handily, they're a lock. But even if they're losing in the game and they come back and win the game, or even if they win by one point, you would still think Alabama is going to be worthy of being one of the top four teams in the country to play in that college football playoff. Now, I get that there's other teams out there. I know that Georgia or Oregon or Minnesota, for that matter, and what they did against Penn State there on Saturday will certainly have a say in all this. But as we know with the FBS and the schedule, strength of schedules, and how they pull all this stuff together, I'd be shocked if Alabama... Now, if they lose that championship game, I don't think they're going to be in. But if they win that championship game, I can't see why they won't make it in. Right now, they're ranked fourth in the country as it is. So even if they run the table, they're going to be in there. Whether they're... I don't know if they'll be number one. Let's see what LSU does in the course of the next few weeks, as well as uh, Ohio State and Clemson, because we all know they're undefeated. But right now, I would think Alabama's going to make it. I'd be shocked if they lose that championship game, and it'd be great. I don't want to see them in the college football playoffs. They've been in there every year since it started back in 2014. So for them to not make it, you think I'm going to lose any sleep over it? Absolutely not. But uh, how I'm going to look at the Crimson Tide right now is that they just got off to a very slow and sloppy start to that game. They did fight back. Obviously, they didn't win. But uh, they're certainly going to be heard from here not only for the rest of this regular college football season, but that SEC championship game, which we have to circle right now as the game, whether or not Alabama makes it into that college football Final Four, remains to be seen. If you're going to ask me if they're going to do it, I think they will. They're probably going to play Georgia or Florida for that matter. And I would think it'll probably be Georgia. And they'll do what they do to Georgia more often than not, and that's win. If you remember that game two years ago where Georgia had the lead and then they spit the bit and – Alabama came back and won, and away we go. So that's what we got there with the college football. The 
Basketball and hockey, I'll get to in a minute. I just want to throw in my two cents as far as the MLB hot stove is concerned. Now, I don't think you're going to get a lot of rumblings. Of course, there's going to be some rumors and there's going to be a lot that shakes down in Arizona starting today through Thursday. But I know the GM meetings are this week and then the owner meetings, I believe, are the second week around this time next month. And I don't know where that's taking place. Could be Florida. Full I know, but as far as this week is concerned, we'll see if there's going to be any rumors about when it comes to the likes of Garrett Cole, when it comes to the likes of Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, Madison Bumgarner, guys of that ilk. And we could talk about rumors to we're blue in the face, and that's why I love doing this, and that's why we all, as sports fans, rally around to see, oh, who's going to get signed or who's going where or what team's going to be the front runner to get this particular player yes we all are just frothing at the mouth wanting to find out what's going to happen with some of these free agents but here's the thing sadly with the way things have gone the last couple of years when you had two weeks into spring training Bryce Harper signed at the dotted line two weeks after the start of pitchers and catchers reporting, Manny Machado signing on the dotted line with San Diego. Do I see this being the same type of scenario where these players, especially the big players, are going to sign late? I could see that. And despite the fact that Yankees, they need pitching first and foremost, and some of these other teams, I mean, who doesn't need pitching? Anaheim Angels, another team. Are they just going to back up the truck here on November the 10th or November the 20th or right around Thanksgiving to make newsworthy headlines that so-and-so signed at this team. I'm sure these GMs are going to feel out these top free agents out there to the tune of, oh, this person wants $250 million? Well, I'm just going to hang tight or I'm going to hold my cards or even fold my cards and walk away from the table. I could see that happening again. And remember, two years ago, it was the same thing. Now, we get there wasn't a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado on the market, but J.D. Martinez was a guy who didn't sign with the Red Sox pretty much similar to what Bryce Harper did in the middle of training camp or spring training, I should say. And the same for Eric Hosmer, who when he signed his deal with the Padres, that was very late in the offseason. So why would the trend be any different this year? Why? Because Garrett Cole is out there or Steven Strasburg or some of these top pitchers that I mentioned or even top players like Rendon or even Mike Moustakas, who's out there again. Now, he's not Anthony Rendon, but at the same time, he's we all know he's a winning player, won a World Series, good p- performer there for the Brewers there the last couple of years, in particular last year. So I would think we're going to see the same song 2019 into 2020, and I'd actually be pretty shocked if any of these guys, these top guys, get signed between now and the end of the year. I'm sure they're going to wait it out, and we all know a lot of these guys are Boris clients. Cole, Rendon, Strasburg, there you go. So let's wait and see. And I think we're going to be waiting more than seeing as to where these players are going to go. Now, it's not to say we want to see them all sign within a week. We get that. It's not like the NFL where once the free agency clock is on at 12.01 or the NBA, I mean, look at the NBA this year. All these reports before July 1st, they were coming out June 30th. Kevin Durant's going here. Kyrie Irving's going there. Kawhi Leonard, which was about July 4th, but all these players are gone within the first week. Baseball, that's not going to happen. And not to say that I would want that or expect that, but 
we would like to see the, some news trickle in before Thanksgiving. Oh, wow, Karagol went there? Or Steven Strasburg signed with whom? So we will see. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to say it for the third year in a row. And I hope I'm wrong on that because I would like to see more activity. I'd like to see how these rosters are going to shape up here over the next couple of weeks. But I don't see that happening. So that's what you have there with the baseball. And again, all the awards will be handed out this week. You would think Pete Alonso is going to win the Rookie of the Year as well as the National League Rookie of the Year, that is, as well as Jacob DeGrom, the Cy Young, for the Mets perspective. Manager of the Year, you think Aaron Boone will be the guy who's going to win that. So from a local flair, you're going to get that. But the Astros, they're probably going to be in line to win the, which I believe could be the first time in history where you'll have your Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and MVP all on the same team. And the favorites there being Jordan Alvarez for Rookie, Cy Young will be Garrett Cole, or Justin Verlander for that matter, and then your MVP is going to be Alex Bregman. And too bad A.J. Hinch, I don't believe he's one of the three finalists for the Manager of the Year, because I believe the Manager of the Year, the three candidates are Aaron Boone, Rocco Baldelli, and Kevin Cash of Tampa. And we would think that Aaron Boone is going to be the guy who's going to take that award home with him. In the Baseball Writers Association, was that they have the ceremony in January, but you figure at some point today, I believe today's the first day where they announce the managers who will be the AL recipient of that. All right, now to turn my attention to some uh, basketball and hockey real quick. Again, we're already a month into these seasons, which is amazing. Uh, NHL, what we have here, they got a bunch of teams that are actually on fire. I know the Islanders, we talked about last week, they had won 10 in a row. They lost to the Penguins, just a brutal game. They were up 3 nothing in the third period. They ended up losing in a shootout, 4-3. So that was a tough loss for them. But they did bounce back with a 2-1 win against Florida on Saturday afternoon. But even with all that winning, they still trail the Capitals in the division. In fact, the Capitals have won three, uh, excuse me, they've won six in a row. So the Capitals, who, as we all know, two years ago won a Stanley Cup and last year fell in the first round, they certainly have come out of the gate like gangbusters to the tune of 29 points, which actually leads the NHL overall as of today. Also, the Bruins have certainly played well, leading their division, the Atlantic Division. Toronto comes to town, as in fact, on Wednesday. I understand if you want to get into the whole John Tavares thing, coming back to the Coliseum. Now, of course, he came back twice last year. We talked about that. But for anybody who wants to go out there and give it to John Tavares one more time, they could do so there on Wednesday. Buffalo's kind of hit the skids here. Now, Buffalo got into that real hot start, and they led the Atlantic Division, but they've lost five in a row, so they've certainly fallen back to the pack. The Stanley Cup champion Blues, no hangover there. They did get off to a little bit of a slow start, but now they've certainly leapfrogged over everybody in the Western Conference to the point of seven in a row and 27 points, which leads the Western Conference. The Edmonton Oilers still playing well, even with the likes of Connor McDavid, who notched his 400th point in his career already. I looked at that. I said, wait, he already has 400 points? I had to go back and even look at that because not that I'm following the Edmonton Oilers day in and day out, but I felt like he just got into the league five minutes ago and he already has 400 points on his uh, under his belt. So good for him as Edmonton leads the Pacific and with Calgary right behind him at 23 points, which is good because when you look at Edmonton and Calgary, that was one of the more fiercest rivalries in the NHL back in the day. And trust me, I'm not going to get on my soapbox and talk about 
toughness and fighting and things of that nature. But I will say this. In a climate where rivalries seem to have been, they've just died on the vine. When you look at Yankees, Red Sox, Ohio State, Michigan. Now, these are rivalries that will be etched forever. We understand that. But to me, the NHL had the better rivalries. You know, Green Bay, Chicago, and the NFL, NBA, Boston, and Philly back in the day. But the NHL had so much more better rivalries, and Edmonton, Calgary was one of them. And obviously, that's territorial because they both play in the same province. But just to put it in perspective, there are no more rivalries anymore. I mean, I don't even see any rivalries and right, we could talk about, oh, well, Islanders, Rangers, Rangers, Flyers, or go through all the sports, but it just doesn't have the same panache. It doesn't have the same flair. It doesn't have the same drama. It just just goes to show where sports is in 2019. You know, there's not a lot of that, and I understand it's a strong word, it's not a lot of that hatred that you get between the cities or between the teams. And not, I'm just talking sports hatred. I'm not trying to say this person hates this person's guts or that team. Or, or no, we're just talking about from a sports perspective. And you don't see that. And when you look at Edmonton, Calgary, for the five hockey fans that are into that, it's just a shame that they're not as heightened as they once were. A lot of that has changed because of the way the game is played, which I won't get into, but you understand what I'm saying when it comes to not having the, and I understand the NBC Sports Network, they try to look at Wednesday night and bill it as a rivalry game or rivalry week, if I can get those two words out. Try saying that five times. Jeez. Rivalry week. Okay. They try to build this as some big thing, and it's not. But they try to manufacture it, give them credit, but it's certainly not like it once was when you did. All you could do is just say those two teams, and oh, you knew you had to turn your sets on and get your eyeballs glued to that. But now they have to muster it up as to get those eyeballs to the sets, and it doesn't have the same flair. So. That's you have with the NHL. As far as the NBA is concerned, to think your two top teams in the Eastern and Western Conference are the Lakers and Celtics. Celtics now, they've beaten up some bad teams in the stretch, and they played the Mavericks tonight, so that would be a pretty interesting matchup. But and the Celtics played the Knicks twice. They've beaten up on Charlotte in the return for Kemba Walker, beating the Cavs the way they did. Now they have Gordon Hayward has this fractured hand. I don't know how long he's going to be out. I haven't seen the latest report on that, but Hayward has gotten off to a very good start. And Hayward had that great game against the Cavs there where he had 39 points with 16 for 16 from the field other than the three-pointers that he made. He was 17 for 20 in the game. But the Celtics have gotten off to a great start. What about the Raptors? Give them credit. No Kawhi Leonard. You would figure, all right, they won their championship. They could go off into the sunset. Yeah, they'll be competitive. It's not going to be the same team. And what are they? They're 7-2. and two. Now, I haven't followed closely who they played, but they beat the Lakers last night. So Celtics haven't beaten the Lakers on their schedule where Toronto could say, hey, we've done that, and they beat them in their building. And they play the Clippers tonight, so you're going to have your first Kawhi Leonard meets his former team. Now, it's not in Toronto, of course. It's in L.A., so that's going to be one of your marquee games tonight in the NBA. But uh, with the rest of the docket, Denver certainly – gotten themselves back to where they're one of the powerhouses in the West as they've tied with the Lakers in the standings. They've won four in a row. Houston's also bounced back nicely after a slow start. How about the Suns? Suns are 6-3 and three now, and they've beaten good teams on the schedule. They beat Brooklyn there last night, and uh, give it up. And that's without DeAndre Ayton, their number one pick from last year. So give it up for the Suns. How long is it going to last? Uh, we all know it's probably going to be short-lived. But uh, as of right now, 
at least they're relevant and at least competitive. So give it up to them. And uh, we know Golden State is going to have a long year. I talked about that last week on the podcast. And uh, obviously we'll get more into the NBA and NHL here. We all know it's going to be predominantly football here. Obviously we're going to sprinkle in some baseball with all the major league free agents. But that's what you're going to have here. Moving forward as we get deeper into this holiday season. As we get deeper into the final six weeks of this decade. As I deliver everything to you here in the world of sports. So before we say goodbye. I got to talk about my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week and it's two guys. I'm going to give it up to them. And it just came out last night. I would have talked about this in the NBA segment. But I saved it for them here. And that's Steve Mills. The president of the Knicks. And Scott Perry the GM of the Knicks. And people may say, why are they Heroes of the Week? Well, after the game yesterday in which they lost to the Cavaliers at home, they started off 2-8, and and we know the Knicks were going to have a long year. We get that. But they've had two 20-point routes in their building. They've been non-competitive. Even though they had a great game against the Mavericks there on Friday night, where they won in Dallas 96-92, Porzingis had a big game from the field, but at the same time, Luka had a phenomenal game, but... They persevered. They actually won on the road and beat the Mavericks. So I don't know if that was just a team trying to rally around their coach and try to beat their former player and Kristaps Porzingis. And uh, it was funny because I watched some of that game and I saw Nilakina go up against Porzingis as he tried to slam right in his face. And that would have been a poster for a generation right there. But I digress. Going back to Scott Perry and Steve Mills, for them to come out and show some credibility and accountability to say, The lack of effort is unacceptable. And I'm paraphrasing here. For them to come out 10 games into the season and to say, this has to turn around quickly. We understand that it's a long haul. We understand it's a long season, so on and so forth. But there's no way that we should be at home in front of our crowd losing not only double digits, but losing by 20 points plus to teams like the Cavaliers. And of course, they didn't single them out. But you pretty much got the tenet of what they wanted to address to the media and to their fans that we cannot accept this. And you know what? Kudos to them. Because I can look at other GMs and owners of this town where it's like trying to pull teeth to get a quote from them, let alone any type of missive or any type of verbal statement to say, this is the state of the franchise. This has to get better. So kudos to those two guys. Those are my heroes of the week. And my zero of the week, and I'll stick with the NBA, is the Atlanta Hawks' John Collins. Now, the Hawks got off to a pretty quick start for them, but now they've come back to the pack. They're 3-6. But here's a guy who's one of the key pieces of their team to go along with Trey Young and Cam Reddish. Well, he's on the shelf for 25 games because he abused the substance policy in the NBA, and I believe it had to do with performance-enhancing drugs. And, of course, he apologized to fans, to the organization, his teammates, etc. But that's just a sad state of affairs there where here's a guy who was certainly very productive in his rookie year last year for the Hawks and trying to build and hopefully progress to get them up the ladder there in the Eastern Conference, maybe not to the playoffs, but just to improve year in, year out with a young nucleus. Well, now for him to be out for 25 games because of a PED incident, Uh, Certainly not a good job on his part, so that he is my zero of the week. And that will wrap up this week's edition of the podcast. Yes, two away from 100. I'm trying to see if I can get someone special for that 100th episode. So you want to stay tuned with uh, that 
on any of my social media accounts. So let me kick that off by saying, for those who do not follow me, you can do so on Instagram. That's at jreels, J-A-Y-R-E-E-L-Z, of course. jreels1, just the number on Twitter. The jreels podcast on my fan page on Facebook. And you could even send me an email if you like, the jreels podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up with any DMs, questions, comments, criticism, praise. Please feel free to do so. Check on those accounts as I try to see if I can get a good guest for number 100, the 100 podcast, which will take place at some point, hopefully, uh, maybe next week sometime. So stay tuned for that. And speaking of which, if I could ask you guys, for those listening, and tell your friends, whether post it on social media, tag me, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be, I'll put it up on my Instagram story. If you could do that and subscribe, leave a review, post a rating for this podcast, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And by doing so, you will also spike up the interest for those out there who don't know the J Reels podcast or who don't know in the sports category for podcasts. As we all know, it's a very competitive field out there. If you could feel free to do that, again, I would appreciate it because not only that, but it'll also generate some interest with some possible guests so they'll know who the J Reels podcast and know who I am. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate that. And also, if you want to support the podcast as far as the contribution is concerned, you can go to my Patreon page to support anything that has to do with the production of this podcast, whether it's advertising, marketing. I even mentioned last week I have a couple commercials. I have a third one that I filmed. I still have a couple more that I want to do, which is going to be slated for 2020. So, yes, you would definitely want to stay tuned for that. You could do so at the Patreon page, www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash the J Reels podcast. Again, Many thanks. I would certainly appreciate that if you could do so as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.